Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Isaiah 22, the first portion that we read. Prophet Isaiah chapter 22 and reading for our text verses 23 through to 25. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups even to all the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, For the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah 22 and verses 23 to 25. We continue this evening with the theme of the illustration of vessels in the scripture. In verse 24 we have three mentions of the vessels, vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. And so it is to look at that illustration, the illustration of vessels hung on Christ this evening. Want to though first look at the literal interpretation of the prophecy that is here. Isaiah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, the godly king Hezekiah. This scene is especially sad, and with the chapter that we read further on in 37, in the time when Assyria came against Judah, And they took the fenced cities, they took the other ten tribes, and they were seeking to discourage, dishearten Hezekiah and his people and overcome them. And yet God appeared for them. He heard their prayer. He delivered them out of the king of Assyria's hand. But here we have the prophecy that speaks not of a nation here, but speaking of two people, Shebna and Eliakim, two people in Hezekiah's court. In this particular passage, we have Shebna set forth in the verse we started reading, verse 15, as being the treasurer and not only treasurer but was over the house he was in an important position and holding the money if you like 
And obviously, it seems that this went to his head. He walked in pride. He hewed out a sepulchre for himself. He was really concerned with his own advancement. The word here was to be spoken to Shebnon. It's not a good word at all. What hast thou here? And whom hast thou here? That thou hast hewed the outer sepulchre here. As he that heweth out a sepulchre on high, and that graveth an habitation for himself in a rock. And then we have some most solemn pronouncements what the Lord will do, carrying him away captive. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country, and there thou shalt die. Now I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state will he pull thee down. So this is spoken against Shebna. Now in the portion that we read in Hezekiah, sorry, Isaiah 37, we have the king Hezekiah having heard all what Rabshakeh and the servants of Assyria had said, they are sending to Isaiah. And in this time, it is not Shebna that is over the house, but Eliakim. Shebna has been reduced in his station and he is now the scribe. And yet Eliakim is over the house. And so there is a, a very difference, a change. In verse 2, he sent Eliakim who was over the household and Shebna the scribe and the eldest of the priests. So he was still in Hezekiah's court, but he'd been demoted. He was no longer over the house. This Eliakim is a different one. He is the son of Hilkiah. He comes some hundred years before the good king, uh, Josiah had been killed by Nico, Pharaoh Nico, and Pharaoh uh, had installed Eliakim, the son of Josiah, as the king and changed his name to Jehoiakim. That was some hundred years later than this time. It's not the same person at all. Here, though is Eliakim and he is set over the house. And indeed in the following on in Isaiah 22 we have the prophecy that this would be so in verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, 
and I will commit thy government into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So we have a picture that one who only sought to advance himself and walked in pride was deposed and another was raised up from a low position and he was greatly strengthened by God and all that Shebna had, uh, his robe, his girdle, his government, was all given unto him. Now the things that are written concerning Eliakim here, it would be a poor thing if we just viewed it and viewed it that they are only written concerning this man, concerning his role in Hezekiah's court. That we weren't able to look past him and see our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ being set forth. If we think of verse 22, good to remember, isn't it? Isaiah 22, verse 22, and this beautiful reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet it's spoken here as regarding Eliakim. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Now this, of course, is exactly uh, what has been said of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the letter uh, to, uh, to Philadelphia, in Revelation chapter 3 and, and verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, that is the pastor, the minister, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. This is the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking in the Revelation, and this is him that is set forth here in prophecy, that Eliakim is a type of. And so it is in this way that I desire to speak this evening, not of Eliakim as a type or person uh, or a Shebna, but of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and what is prophesied here and spoken of Eliakim really pointing it to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is he that the key of the house of David is laid on. He is the nail that is fastened in a sure place. He it is that all of his dear people hang upon him and the burden of their sins when he is cut off, when he falls, that shall fall. That burden that was on it be cut off. In the prophecy of Daniel, we read of in Messiah's day that he shall be cut off, but not for himself. And here we find the, the same illustration, the nail 
that is, is, is cut off or cut down and fall at the burden that was on it. He had laid on him the iniquity of us all that that burden then is cut off. And so it is with those thoughts and that brief summary, I want to look firstly at Christ, the nail that is in a sure place, and then secondly, the vessels hung upon him, and thirdly, Christ cut down and the burden of his people's sins cut off. Firstly, though Christ the nail fastened in a sure place. Verse 23. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. A nail in a sure place. A nail designed to have hung upon it all of these vessels, small and great, hung upon it. Let us think of the illustration that is here. Sometimes, no doubt, you have seen or actually done, say, hung a picture. And you put a nail in the wall and you've looked at that picture and you thought, is that nail strong enough? Will it bear the weight of that picture and depending on the size of the picture you make that nail as a bigger or smaller drive it in deeper make it more secure when you put that nail in you take that valuable picture and just hang it on it just hope it will work or do you test it do you pull on it do you put some other weight on it you really see if it is able to hold what you're going to put on it first. This is the illustration here. Whatever we are going to hang upon a nail, we want to put that not in some loose plaster, not in the mortar, but actually in the brick, in the hardest part, we'll put it in, so that it holds firm. And in our text, I will fasten him, God will fasten our Lord and Saviour as a nail in a sure place, a place that is very strong, we will not let go. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his Father's house. And of course what follows, to be hung upon him. One of those sure places that the Father hath fastened our Lord is in his eternal purposes, his eternal counsels. The people of God are chosen in him from the foundation of the world. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And our Lord is there right from the very, very beginning, before ever the world was, the glory he had with the Father, he is the eternal God. And in the purposes of God, 
He was foreordained to be the saviour of his people, the deliverer of his people. And there he is, fastened in God's purposes. Then he is fastened in the promises of God. When man fell, there was the promise of the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. And right throughout these scriptures, we have one promise after another of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each one of those is, as it were, taking him as a nail and fastening him in a sure place because God's promises will never fail. They can never fail. They will come to pass. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Another sure place that the Lord Jesus Christ is fastened in is in the word of God. Heaven and earth, says our Lord, shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. When our Lord came to suffer at Calvary, in the lead up, in the garden and at Calvary, many times we hear that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When being taken in the garden and Peter had his sword, the Lord said, put up thy sword within its sheath. The cup which my father hath given me to drink, shall I not drink it? Uh, Dost thou not know that I could presently pray the father he would give me twelve legion of angels, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? The word of God is settled forever in heaven and those words cannot fall to the ground they must they must be fulfilled and our Lord Jesus Christ is in all the scriptures on the way to Emmaus when he met with the two that were so low who had seen the sacrifice at Calvary and knew not what it meant thought that yes he was the one that should redeem Israel but they couldn't see it as redeeming Israel the Lord took them back to where that nail, our Lord Jesus Christ, was fastened in the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then we have in the New Testament church, in our days, these gospel days, our Lord Jesus Christ is fastened here as well, in the ordinances of the house of God, in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me, or in baptism, buried with him by baptism into death and risen again in newness of life. He is fastened in a sure place in the ministry of the word through the preaching of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is central The Apostle says, I determined to know nothing among men save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Both before his sufferings and after his sufferings, our Lord Jesus Christ is fastened, is secured in that place of honour and glory and that work that his Father gave him to do. In heaven he is, as a lamb as it had been slain in the midst of the throne. He is there, the glory is his. Our text says that he shall be 
for a glorious throne to his father's house. The Lord sits upon that throne. That throne is his and all that belongs to it. But there's a special need for this nail to be fastened in a sure place and to be made sure it is sure. When our Lord Jesus Christ came to this world, he came to bear the sins of his people. And he came to be a man, a real man, made flesh and dwelt among us. But was he able to fulfil that work that his father gave him to do? His life had to be perfect and sinless. He had to be able to resist the devil and his temptations and not fall like our first parents did. He had to endure the contradiction of sinners against himself and yet still be spotless and perfect. He had to be strong enough to be able to bear his people's sin and to carry them from Gethsemane right through to the judgment and then to carry them to Calvary and there suffer, bleed and die to put away those sins. He must be strong enough for that. How many, in a natural sense, men, women, have seen a task before them and they've said, I'm able to do that, I'll do that. Some of them, it has been a physical task and they've started to do it and they've realised they were not strong enough. They couldn't carry the weight. They had to buckle under it. They needed someone to step in and to lift the weight off them and to help them. Others, they were strong physically, but mentally they couldn't. They buckled under the taunting, under the temptations. They couldn't bear the load. And with our Lord we have recorded in the scriptures how he was tried and tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. After his baptism he was driven of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And there the devil came and tempted him. If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And the Lord had already uh, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil tempting him all that time and yet now he comes this last temptation when he is so hungry after all that time. What was the first temptation of our first parents? It was to do with food. But they were not hungry They had all the Garden of Eden. They had all the fruits of it. They weren't hungry. But they fell in a temptation to eat of a forbidden fruit. But our Lord stood that test. He said, Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is written, that is set forth, Our Lord was not to be the servant of Satan. He would not on his terms 
prove himself to be the Son of God. He did not need to prove it. He is the eternal Son of God. But he stood that test three times to be tempted of Satan. And we read that Satan, he left him for a season. We do not read of those specific other times that he was tempted, but we know that there were other times because it was only for a season that he left him. Our captain stood that fiery test, him writer says, and we shall stand through him. But it was necessary that he should be tempted in that way so that it was established he was not like fallen Adam. He was not of the seeds of Adam. He he, he was sinless, spotless. He was from heaven. He was as he testified he truly was without having to prove so to Satan. His very superiority to Satan forbid him from doing Satan's bidding. And then we have in the garden of Gethsemane. Now in the garden, of course, there was the time when the sins of all his people were laid upon him. He had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he had to bear that weight. We see a picture there, bowed down to the earth and sweating great drops of blood. We hear him praying beforehand, Father, if it be possible, let this come pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he is having then the weight of his people's sins laid upon him, carrying that burden, bearing that burden, and he must be able to bear it, able to carry it out of that garden and to the judgment and before Pilate and to the cross. He must be able to bear it and all that had gone on before And all that had gone on then, as we come to the end, it proved he was truly a nail in a sure place. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. A nail for a work. A nail that there should be that hung upon it that was very, very precious. And I want to look then secondly at the vessels hung upon him. We read in verse 24 And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue. At first what is said to be hung upon him was the glory of his father's house. The Lord was be the saviour, the redeemer and the people of God, they show forth his glory. This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. And that at last innumerable multitude in heaven 
They shall be all to the praise and glory of God. His father's house, his father's children, his people, a redeemed people, a saved people, a chosen people in him, an everlastingly loved people, a people that were to be drawn, a people that are spoken of in Acts 2, that the promise is unto you and your children, the offspring and the issue, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. These are then described as vessels. Vessels of small quantity, vessels of cups, even to the vessels of flagons. What difference there are in the people of God. Some, like David, King David, you might say the greats, or like Abraham, they are the great faithful ones, those that are so highly set forth even in Scripture. But then you have those that are the little ones, the children, the servants, the things that are referred to by Paul writing to Corinthians and things that are not so small. All of the people of God, great and small, when Paul writes to Timothy, he speaks regarding prayer, that prayer ought to be made for all men. And he includes the kings, the governors. All men of every nation, kindred and tongue, of every station. The word of God speaks to masters, but it speaks to their servants as well. Whatever station it is. And then we have another thought as this as well, because each one of these vessels are sinners. And our Lord spoke of those that were great sinners and little sinners, not that there really is any difference, because who has sinned in one point is sinned in all. But when we had the scribes and the Pharisees murmuring that our Lord went to uh, sup with publicans and sinners and the woman that was washing his feet with the hairs of her head, they grumbled at her and yet our Lord then told a parable and he said if there was a, a, a man that had debtors and those that were indebted to him, and one owed 500 pence and the other owed 50 pence and he frankly forgave them both and he asked, he said, and which one do you think would love him most? And they answered, well, the, the one that had been forgiven 500. Yes, he said. This woman, and he points to her, Though her sins are great, he didn't deny that. Yet here's the evidence. Repentance. Godly sorrow for sin. 
The sins which are many are all forgiven. And so we have those that are notorious sinners, open sinners, great sinners, like the woman at the well of Samaria uh, that had had five husbands. The husband that she had was not her husband. Those like Rahab, the harlot. Those like Jacob, supplanter, deceiver. David, a murderer. Moses, a murderer. Sinners like them. And so he's pictured here. These vessels that vary in size, so also God's people vary in how their outward sins, how their sins are manifested in this world. And yet they all are hung upon the same nail. They shall hang upon him all, not some, all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups even to all the vessels of flagons, every one, the emphasis is on all, every one of the people of God, every one whose sins are to be borne away and put away, they are all to be hung upon the Lord. Now there's two ways of looking at this. Because of what is to be is to happen later on that this nail is to be cut off and the burden that is to fall. And so the first aspect is the hanging upon him. We especially think of the Old Testament here. Those that were saved, they were saved by faith that the Son of God would, in the fullness of time, come and put away their sins by the sacrifice of himself. They had the types, the shadows, they had the blood of bulls and of goats that were sacrificed for sin. In Hebrews 11, we are told that they saw the promises afar off and they embraced them. They trusted that the Lord would come as he said he would and that he would bear their sins away, he would put their sins away. So in that sense, by the grace of God, as they saw by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ set forth before them in the types and shadows and in the Old Testament scriptures, they hung upon our Lord Jesus Christ. They hung upon his coming. They waited for his coming. Our text says, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. Who is they? Really, you may say, the Old Testament the prophets, the Lord's people that pointed to his coming in the New Testament, the ministers of the gospel that point, point to the Lord Jesus Christ and point him as the only way that sin is put away and put away and forgiven and 
that that is what the Lord has done. The Old Testament saints, they look forward to what the Lord would do. I wonder how it finds us this evening, looking upon the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing God putting him in that sure place, establishing him right through the scriptures, in the church of God, in the ministry. And where is, where is our hopes placed? Where are our hopes hanging? Where are we leaning upon? Is it upon this nail? Is it upon Christ? Are we hanging upon him? There's no other way, no other place, no other person that we can hang our hopes for heaven upon. When many forsook the Lord in John 6, when he spoke hard things to them concerning his coming sufferings, and except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no uh, life in you, then uh, many went back, walked no more. The Lord asked his disciples, his twelve, Will ye also go away? They said, To whom can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. They were hanging upon him. Their hopes were upon him. The same as those on the way to Emmaus. We trusted. It should have been he that should have redeemed Israel. That is what it is to be, to be hanging upon the Lord. Our hopes are placed there, our expectations are there, our hopes of our sins being forgiven, blotted out, put away, are all hanging upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not resting on man, not hanging upon man, proud man like Shebna, Shebna who makes his nest here below, who even makes provision that when he's died there's going to be a remembrance of his name, same as what Absalom did. What a solemn thing to have our name written in the earth and to be written in the sand. But our Lord's name is written in the fleshy tables of his people's hearts and they hang upon him and they wait upon him. Are we a vessel? A vessel, a vessel that is full by nature of sin. A vessel that by God's grace is to be filled with his grace, with his glory, with all the beauty of what the Lord has done. And so the type then changes. The vessels hung upon him in expectation is the people of God looking to the Lord for their salvation, for their blessing. But then we have what the Lord has done. And the vessels then are now representing the people of God, their sins, great and small. Yet laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is where we come, our last point. Christ cut down and the burden of his people's sins cut off. Verse 25, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off. 
for the Lord has spoken it. Again, what we mentioned was in Daniel, shall be cut off, but not for himself. These two sides, the strength of our Lord. He says, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. I have strength to bear these sins, to carry them and to carry them to the judgment. And then at my own free will, And in my own time, not when the soldiers break my legs, not when man determines it. No, Pilate, he wondered that he was dead already. They didn't have to break his legs. Scripture had prophesied, a bone of him shall not be broken, and nor was it. But the time was in his hand. He cried with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He laid down his life to take it again. And so that nail in a sure place was removed and cut down and fell. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ is that which put away the people of God's sin. He dealt with sin, the sin that was laid on him. It had to be laid on him to be carried away, to be atoned for, so that he would die for his people's sin, that he should bear their sins in his own body on the tree, that it should be a burden. And that is how it's spoken of here. It says... The burden, it it doesn't actually say the vessels that was cut off. The implication is it's one and the same, but really it is the burden. And what is the burden that the Lord bore was the burden of his people's sin. That is what pressed him down. And that is what he was to bear away and suffer for and bleed for and to redeem them. And this is what the Lord did. And viewing, viewing our Lord at Calvary and viewing his death, and we view this word here, what assurance we have, along with many other scriptures, that those who hung upon him those that hang upon him, those that look for him to deal with and take away their sin, the Lord shall do it. He has done it. And in these gospel days we look back and we see him as the nail in a sure place. We see him, what he accomplished at Calvary. We hear the preachers determining to know nothing among men save Jesus and him crucified. And we see those sins blotted out and put away. We have also a type of the scapegoat in the Old Testament. In the sacrifices of the scapegoat, two goats were used. There had to be two, though it sets forth the one Lord Jesus Christ. And the one had to be slain, identified with the sins of the people, and his blood then shed. 
and the other the sins of the people confessed upon it and taken by a strong man into the wilderness, into the land of forgetfulness, never to be seen again. And in those two types it sets forth what Christ was to do, that he was to, by the shedding of his blood, put away his people's sin, and his people's sins were to be forgotten. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. They are cut off, and they were cut off at Calvary. And it was always ordained in those types and shadows that they would be cut off there. They would be dealt with there. And the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord has spoken it. And we know in gospel terms it has been cut off. Later on in Isaiah, you have the beautiful 53rd chapter speaking of the sufferings of our Lord. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes <coughs> we are healed. And we read uh, later on, he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken and the whole of that chapter speaks of what the Lord Jesus Christ would do at Calvary what what he has done there So may we see in this, we might say, strange prophecy, removing Shebna. We could think about it of ourselves or as Adam, that is not able to save from sin, not able to be a blessing to the house of God, like the nearer kinsman that Boaz had, that said that he couldn't, He couldn't redeem Ruth. He could redeem her land, but Ruth, no, he couldn't because it would mar his own inheritance. And you and I, if we died to save another, we'd kill ourselves. Man cannot save himself. Man cannot deliver himself. But the God-man, our Lord Jesus Christ, can and did. Shebna, proud man, wicked man, there to be laid aside. Adam, in all his sinfulness, and all the sons of Adam, and the Lord, set forth here in this type, the illustration of Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. He, Hilkiah, he comes, and he does that, which Shebna would never have done. Here truly is the one that the key of the house of David is laid upon. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ set forth. And may our hopes be placed on him.
May our faith look back to Calvary and see that our sins were laid upon him there and borne away there. May we see in him our hope of heaven, the one that has opened heaven to us as sinners, and yet sinners whose sins are put away through our Lord Jesus Christ, the nail in a sure place that was cut off, but not for himself, for his people. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.